Chapter thirty six of the Junior Classics, Volume seven Stories of Courage and Heroism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Junior Classics, Volume seven Stories of Courage and Heroism by William Patton. How Napoleon Rewarded His Men by Lieutenant General Baron de Marbeau. After crossing the Traun, burning the bridge at Mauthausen, and passing the Enns, Napoleon's army advanced to Molk, without knowing what had become of General Hiller. Some spies assured us that the Archduke had crossed the Danube and joined him, and that we should on the morrow meet the whole Austrian army strongly posted in front of St. Pulten. In that case, we must make ready to fight a great battle. But if it were otherwise, we had to march quickly on Vienna in order to get there before the enemy could reach it by the other bank. For want of positive information, the Emperor was very undecided. The question to be solved was, had General Hiller crossed the Danube, or was he still in front of us, masked by a swarm of light cavalry, which, always flying, never let us get near enough to take a prisoner from whom one might get some enlightenment? Still knowing nothing for certain, we reached on May 7th the pretty little town of Mölk, standing on the bank of the Danube, and overhung by an immense rock, on the summit of which rises a Benedictine convent, said to be the finest and richest in Christendom. From the rooms of the monastery a wide view is obtained over both banks of the Danube. There the emperor and many marshals, including Lannes, took up their quarters, while our staff lodged with the parish priest. Much rain had fallen during the week, and it had not ceased for twenty-four hours, and was still falling so that the Danube and its tributaries were over their banks. That night, as my comrades and I, delighted at being sheltered from the bad weather, were having a merry supper with the parson, a jolly fellow, who gave us an excellent meal, the aide de camp on duty with the marshal came to tell me that I was wanted and must go up to the convent that moment. I was so comfortable where I was that I found it annoying to have to leave a good supper and good quarters to go and get wet again, but I had to obey. All the passages and lower rooms of the monastery were full of soldiers. On reaching the dwelling rooms, I saw that I had been sent for about some serious matter, for generals, chamberlains, orderly officers said to me repeatedly, the emperor has sent for you. Some added, it is probably to give you your commission as major. This I did not believe, for I did not think I was yet of sufficient importance to the sovereign for him to send for me at such an hour to give me my commission with his own hands. I was shown into a vast and handsome gallery with a balcony looking over the Danube. There I found the emperor at dinner with several marshals and the abbot of the convent, who has the title of bishop. On seeing me, the emperor left the table, and went toward the balcony, followed by Lannes. I heard him say in a low tone, 
the execution of this plan is almost impossible it would be sending a brave officer for no purpose to almost certain death he will go sir replied the marshal i am certain he will go at any rate we can but propose it to him then taking me by the hand the marshal opened the window of the balcony over the danube the river at this moment trebled in volume by the strong flood was nearly a league wide it was lashed by a fierce wind and we could hear the waves roaring it was pitch dark and the rain fell in torrents but we could see on the other side a long line of bivouac fires napoleon marshal lannes and i being alone on the balcony the marshal said on the other side of the river you see an austrian camp now the emperor is keenly desirous to know whether general hiller's corps is there or still on this bank in order to make sure he wants a stout-hearted man bold enough to cross the danube and bring away some soldier of the enemies and i have assured him that you will go then napoleon said to me take notice that i am not giving you an order i am only expressing a wish i am aware that the enterprise is as dangerous as it can be and you can decline it without any fear of displeasing me go and think it over for a few moments in the next room come back and tell us frankly your decision i admit that when i heard marshal land's proposal i had broken out all over in a cold sweat but at the same moment a feeling which i cannot define but in which a love of glory and of my country was mingled perhaps with a noble pride raised my ardor to the highest point and i said to myself the emperor has here an army of one hundred and fifty thousand devoted warriors besides twenty five thousand men of his guard all selected from the bravest he is surrounded with aides the camp and orderly officers and yet when an expedition is on foot requiring intelligence no less than boldness it is i whom the emperor and marshal Lannes choose i will go sir i cried without hesitation i will go and if i perish i leave my mother to your majesty's care the emperor pulled my ear to mark his satisfaction the marshal shook my hand i was quite right to tell your majesty that he would go there's what you may call a brave soldier my expedition being thus decided on i had to think about the means of executing it the emperor called general bertrand his aide-de-camp general d'orsen of the guard and the commandant of the imperial headquarters and ordered them to put at my disposal whatever i might require at my request an infantry picket went into the town to find the burgomaster the leader of the boatmen and five of his best hands a corporal and five grenadiers of the old guard who could all speak german and had still to earn their decoration were also summoned and voluntarily agreed to go with me the emperor had them brought in first and promised that on their return they should receive the cross at once the brave men replied by a vive l'empereur and went to get ready as for the five boatmen on its being explained to them through the interpreter 
that they had to take a boat across the Danube, they fell on their knees and began to weep. The leader declared that they might just as well be shot at once as sent to certain death. The expedition was absolutely impossible, not only from the strength of the current, but because the tributaries had brought into the Danube a great quantity of fir trees recently cut down in the mountains, which could not be avoided in the dark, and would certainly come against the boat and sink it. Besides, how could one land on the opposite bank among willows which would scuttle the boat, and with a flood of unknown extent? The leader concluded, then, that the operation was physically impossible. In vain did the emperor tempt them with an offer of six thousand francs per man. Even this could not persuade them, though, as they said, they were poor boatmen with families, and this sum would be a fortune to them. But, as I have already said, some lives must be sacrificed to save those of the greater number, and the knowledge of this makes commanders sometimes pitiless. The emperor was inflexible, and the grenadiers received orders to take the poor men whether they would or not, and we went down to the town. The corporal who had been assigned to me was an intelligent man. Taking him for my interpreter, I charged him as we went along to tell the leader of the boatmen that as he had to come along with us, he had better in his own interest show us his best boat, and point out everything that we should require for her fitting. The poor man obeyed, so we got an excellent vessel, and we took all that we wanted from the others. We had two anchors, but as I did not think we should be able to make use of them, I had sewn to the end of each cable a piece of canvas with a large stone wrapped in it. I had seen in the south of France the fishermen use an apparatus of this kind to hold their boats by throwing the cord over the willows at the water's edge. I put on a cap, the grenadiers took their forage caps, we had provisions, ropes, axes, saws, a ladder, everything, in short, which I could think of to take. Our preparations ended, I was going to give the signal to start, when the five boatmen implored me with tears to let the soldiers escort them to their houses, to take perhaps the last farewell of their wives and children. But fearing that a tender scene of this kind would further reduce their small stock of courage, I refused. Then the leader said, Well, as we have only a short time to live, allow us five minutes to commend our souls to God, and do you do the same, for you are also going to your death. They all fell on their knees, the grenadiers and I following their example, which seemed to please the worthy people much. When their prayer was over, I gave each man a glass of wine, and we pushed out into the stream. I had bidden the grenadiers follow in silence all the orders of the syndic, or leader who was steering. The current was too strong for us to cross over straight from Mulk. We went up, therefore, along the bank, under sail for more than a league, and, although the wind and the waves made the boat jump, this part was accomplished without accident. But when the time came to take to our oars and row out from the land, the mast, on being lowered, fell over to one side, and the sail dragging in the water, offered a strong resistance to the current, and nearly capsized us. The master ordered the ropes to be cut, 
and the masts to be sent overboard but the boatmen losing their heads began to pray without stirring then the corporal drawing his sword said you can pray and work too obey at once or i will kill you compelled to choose between possible and certain death the poor fellows took up their hatchets and with the help of the grenadiers the mast was promptly cut away and sent floating it was high time for hardly were we free from this dangerous burden when we felt a fearful shock a pine stem borne down by the stream had struck the boat we all shuddered but luckily the planks were not driven in this time would the boat however resist more shocks of this kind we could not see the stems and only knew that they were near by the heavier tumble of the waves several touched us but no serious accident resulted meantime the current bore us along and as our oars could make very little way against it to give us the necessary slant i feared for a moment that it would sweep us below the enemy's camp and that my expedition would fail by dint of hard rowing however we had got three-quarters of the way over when i saw an immense black mass looming over the water then a sharp scratching was heard branches caught us in the face and the boat stopped to our questions the owner replied that we were on an island covered with willows and had succeeded in passing the obstacle we found the stream much less furious than in the middle of the river and finally reached the left bank in front of the austrian camp this shore was bordered with very thick trees which overhanging the bank like a dome made the approach difficult no doubt but at the same time concealed our boat from the camp the whole shore was lighted up by the bivouac fires while we remained in the shadow thrown by the branches of the willows i let the boat float downward looking for a suitable landing place presently i perceived that a sloping path had been made down the bank by the enemy to allow the men and horses to get to the water the corporal adroitly threw into the willows one of the stones that i had made ready the cord caught in a tree and the boat brought up against the land a foot or two from the slope it must have been just about midnight the austrians having the swollen danube between them and the french felt themselves so secure that except the sentry the whole camp was asleep it is usual in war for the guns and the sentinels always to face toward the enemy however far off he may be a battery placed in advance of the camp was therefore turned toward the river and sentries were walking on the top of the bank the trees prevented them from seeing the extreme edge while from the boat i could see through the branches a great part of the bivouac so far my mission had been more successful than i had ventured to hope but in order to make the success complete i had to bring away a prisoner and to execute such an operation fifty paces away from several thousand enemies whom a single cry would rouse seemed very difficult still i had to do something i made the five sailors lie down at the bottom of the boat under guard of two grenadiers another grenadier i posted at the bow of the boat which was close to the bank and i myself disembarked sword in hand followed by the corporal and two grenadiers the boat was a few feet from dry land we had to walk in the water but at last we were on the slope 
we went up and i was making ready to rush on the nearest sentry disarm him gag him and drag him off to the boat when the ring of metal and the sound of singing in a low voice fell on my ears a man carrying a great tin pail was coming to draw water humming a song as he went we quickly went down again to the river to hide under the branches and as the austrian stooped to fill his pail my grenadier seized him by the throat put a handkerchief full of wet sand over his mouth and placing their sword points against his body threatened him with death if he resisted or uttered a sound utterly bewildered the man obeyed and let us take him to the boat we hoisted him into the hands of the grenadiers posted there who made him lie down beside the sailors while this austrian was lying captured i saw by his clothes that he was not strictly speaking a soldier but an officer's servant i should have preferred to catch a combatant who could have given me more precise information but i was going to content myself with this capture for want of a better when i saw at the top of the slope two soldiers carrying a cauldron between them on a pole they were only a few paces off it was impossible for us to re-embark without being seen i therefore signed to my grenadiers to hide themselves again and as soon as the two austrians stooped to fill their vessel powerful arms seized them from behind and plunged their heads under water we had to stupefy them a little since they had their swords and i feared that they might resist then they were picked up in turn their mouths covered with a handkerchief full of sand and sword points against their breasts constrained them to follow us they were shipped as the servant had been and my men and i got on board again so far all had gone well i made the sailors get up and take their oars and order the corporal to cast loose the rope which held us to the bank it was however so wet and the knot had been drawn so tight by the force of the stream that it was impossible to unfasten we had to saw the rope which took us some minutes meanwhile the rope shaking with our efforts imparted its movement to the branches of the willow round which it was wrapped and the rustling became loud enough to attract the notice of the sentry he drew near unable to see the boat but perceiving that the agitation of the branches increased he called out who goes there no answer further challenge from the sentry we held our tongues and worked away i was in deadly fear after facing so many dangers it would have been too cruel if we were wrecked in sight of port at last the rope was cut and the boat pushed off but hardly was it clear of the overhanging willows than the light of the bivouac fires made it visible to the sentry who shouting to arms fired at us no one was hit but at the sound the whole camp was astir in a moment and the gunners whose pieces were ready loaded and trained on the river honored my boat with some cannon shots at the report my heart leaped for joy for i knew that the emperor and marshal would hear it i turned my eyes toward the convent with its lighted windows of which i had in spite of the distance never lost sight probably all were open at this moment but in one only could i perceive any increase of brilliancy it was the great balcony window 
which was as large as the doorway of a church and sent from afar a flood of light over the stream evidently it had just been opened at the thunder of the cannon and i said to myself the emperor and the marshals are doubtless on the balcony they know that i have reached the enemy's camp and are making vows for my safe return this thought raised my courage and i heeded the cannonballs not a bit indeed they were not very dangerous for the stream swept us along at such a pace that the gunners could not aim with any accuracy and we must have been very unlucky to get hit one shot would have done for us but all fell harmless into the danube soon i was out of range and could reckon a successful issue to my enterprise still all danger was not yet at an end we had still to cross among the floating pine stems and more than once we struck unsubmerged islands and were delayed by the branches of the poplars at last we reached the right bank more than two leagues below milk and a new terror assailed me i could see bivouac fires and had no means of learning whether they belonged to a french regiment the enemy had troops on both banks and i knew that on the right bank marshal land's outposts were not far from milk facing an austrian corps posted at st polten our army would doubtless go forward at daybreak but was it already occupying this place and were the fires that i saw those of friends or enemies i was afraid that the current had taken me too far down but the problem was solved by french cavalry trumpets sounding the reveille our uncertainty being at an end we rode with all our strength to the shore where in the dawning light we could see a village as we drew near the report of a carbine was heard and a bullet whistled by our ears it was evident that the french sentries took us for a hostile crew i had not foreseen this possibility and hardly knew how we were to succeed in getting recognized till the happy thought struck me of making my six grenadiers shout vive l'empereur napoleon this was of course no certain evidence that we were french but it would attract the attention of the officers who would have no fear of our small numbers and would no doubt prevent the men from firing on us before they knew whether we were french or austrians a few moments later i came ashore and i was received by colonel gautrin and the ninth hussars forming part of land's division if we had landed half a league lower down we should have tumbled into the enemy's pickets the colonel lent me a horse and gave me several wagons in which i placed the grenadiers the boatmen and the prisoners and the little cavalcade went off toward Mook. as we went along the corporal at my orders questioned the three austrians and i learned with satisfaction that the camp whence i had brought them away belonged to the very division general hillers the position of which the emperor was so anxious to learn there was therefore no further doubt that that general had joined the archduke on the other side of the danube there was no longer any question of a battle on the road which we held and napoleon having only the enemy's cavalry in front of him could in perfect safety push his troops forward toward vienna from which we were but three easy marches distant with this information i galloped forward in order to bring it to the emperor with the least possible delay 
when i reached the gate of the monastery it was broad day i found the approach blocked by the whole population of the little town of molk and heard among the crowd the cries of the wives children and friends of the sailors whom i had carried off in a moment i was surrounded by them and was able to calm their anxiety by saying in very bad german your friends are alive and you will see them in a few moments a great cry of joy went up from the crowd bringing out the officer in command of the guard at the gate on seeing me he ran off in pursuance of orders to warn the aides de camp to let the emperor know of my return in an instant the whole palace was up the good marshal lan came to me embraced me cordially and carried me straight off to the emperor crying out here he is sir i knew he would come back he has brought three prisoners from general hiller's division napoleon received me warmly and though i was wet and muddy all over he laid his hand on my shoulder and did not forget to give his greatest sign of satisfaction by pinching my ear i leave you to imagine how i was questioned the emperor wanted to know every incident of the adventure in detail and when i had finished my story said i am very well pleased with you major marbot these words were equivalent to a commission and my joy was full at that moment a chamberlain announced that breakfast was served and as i was calculating on having to wait in the gallery until the emperor had finished he pointed with his finger toward the dining-room and said you will breakfast with me as this honor had never been paid to any officer of my rank i was the more flattered during breakfast i learned that the emperor and the marshal had not been to bed all night and that when they heard the cannon on the opposite bank they had all rushed on to the balcony the emperor made me tell again the way in which i had surprised the three prisoners and laughed much at the fright and surprise which they must have felt at last the arrival of the wagons was announced but they had much difficulty in making their way through the crowd so eager were the people to see the boatmen napoleon thinking this very natural gave orders to open the gates and let everybody come into the court soon after the grenadiers the boatmen and the prisoners were led into the gallery the emperor through his interpreter first questioned the three austrian soldiers and learning with satisfaction that not only general hiller's corps but the whole of the archduke's army were on the other bank he told berthier to give the order for the troops to march at once on st polten then calling up the corporal and the five soldiers he fastened the cross on their breast appointed them knights of the empire and gave them an annuity of twelve hundred francs apiece all the veterans wept for joy Next came the boatmen's turn the emperor told them that as the danger they had run was a good deal more than he had expected it was only fair that he should increase their reward so instead of the six thousand francs promised twelve thousand in gold were given to them on the spot nothing could express their delight they kissed the hands of the emperor and all present crying now we are rich 
napoleon laughingly asked the leader if he would go the same journey for the same price the next night but the man answered that having escaped by miracle what seemed certain death he would not undertake such a journey again even if his lordship the abbot of mulk would give him the monastery and all its possessions the boatman withdrew blessing the generosity of the french emperor and the grenadiers eager to show off their decoration before their comrades were about to go off with their three prisoners when napoleon perceived that the austrian servant was weeping bitterly he reassured him as to his safety but the poor lad replied sobbing that he knew the french treated their prisoners well but that as he had on him a belt containing nearly all his captain's money he was afraid that the officer would accuse him of deserting in order to rob him and he was heartbroken at the thought touched by the worthy fellow's distress the emperor told him that he was free and as soon as we were before vienna he would be passed through the outposts and be able to return to his master then taking a rouleau of one thousand francs he put it in the man's hand saying one must honor goodness wherever it is shown lastly the emperor gave some pieces of gold to each of the other two prisoners and ordered that they too should be sent back to the austrian outposts so that they might forget the fright which we had caused them End of how napoleon rewarded his men by lieutenant-general baron de marbeau